Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool Zone Media. Hey everyone, Robert Evans here. And you know, it's another holiday week. This is not a holiday I, I tend to celebrate, but it is a holiday that our company gives us off. And I like my team not having to work. Uh, it's also good to not have to work. And when we drop episodes on weeks like this, it means we basically have to double up during the week before or the week after, uh, which causes a lot of stress that isn't necessary uh, when you're trying to have everyone be able to relax. So this week we are doing another rewind, our infamous and beloved episodes on King Leopold II of Belgium. So tuck in and enjoy yourselves uh, and enjoy a real terrible story of a real terrible piece of shit. I hope you all have a good week, regardless of what you do during it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in history. On this show, we cover monsters like Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Eric Prince, Will Wheaton, and today's topic, King Leopold. But before we get to King Leopold, I'd like to introduce my guest for the week, Andrew T., host of Yo Is This Racist and General Man About Town. Hello, Andrew. What's up? Well, today we're talking about a little Belgian dude named Leopold. You ever heard of King Leopold of Belgium? Uh, not particularly. King Leopold II, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like uh, the closest I'm going to come is, I feel like... At some point, I got a box of fancy chocolates that might have had a, a, a Leopold. Maybe not the bad Leopold. I assume a good Leopold. This is not a good Leopold. Yeah, that's what and, I'm saying. Um, so probably not this particular yeah, Leopold. Yeah. Uh, Leopold II was king of Belgium once upon a time. And he was, in my opinion, the first world leader to be truly shitty in the modern sense of the word. Oh, snap. Like 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 the kind of shitty that like Putin and Trump Right, are, right, yeah. right. So not, right, we're discounting our Genghis Khans and our, yeah, 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 wars. yeah, yeah. Because Genghis Khan like did what he did, but he didn't have like a bunch of newspapers that he used yeah. to justify. He was just like, I'm going to conquer some shit. Right, right, right. Yeah. This is the transition from 
uh, barbarian bastards into media bastards. Exactly. And okay. I think Leopold of Belgium is really where it happens in a modern... Like, obviously, other people had toyed with aspects of this, but he really <laughs> nailed it. Uh-huh. Uh, so King Leopold II's dad uh, was obviously King Leopold I, uh, and he was the Makes first sense. king of Belgium. Is yeah. that obvious? Is that... Is it always like a like one begets two, or is it like a ah oh, your grandfather was Leopold the first? I'm Gerald of Belgium, but you're going to be Leopold two. Yeah, I think that's more how it happens most yeah. of the time. Not so, this yeah, time. You're right, you're right. Not this time. This time Leopold the first was like this went so well. Yeah, we're gonna have it the Keep second. Keep it going. Yeah. Um, so Leopold I was like the, like, again, the very first king of Belgium at all, because Belgium had just been made a thing in the wake of the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, so during the whole fighting between Napoleon and everyone else in Europe, Belgium was generally the battleground where like the, everyone would sort of duke it out between the the Germans and the French and the French and everybody else. Yeah, Yeah. Waterloo is in Belgium. Oh. So after Napoleon's butt gets kicked, the European powers who win are like, okay, we can't have France and Germany fighting over Belgium pl- forever. Yeah. We're going to make it its own it's thing. It's a new thing. Oh. Yeah. And since it was going to be a new country, obviously it needed a king. Yeah. Um, so they, the Leopold I got the job because he was a German prince who didn't have a kingdom of his own. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So he was just like split off. Right. This is like, we're going to give Meghan Markle Wales or whatever, or no, part of Wales. Yeah, part of Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's that, exactly that sort of thing. They actually tried him out to be king of Greece first, but he didn't like, Tight. didn't fit for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. That's an option? <laughs> we're going to find you with something, buddy. Don't worry, Leopold. Oh my like, God. We're going to put you in a kingdom. It's that just, is... Greece isn't the right one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. You try a starter kingdom. Everyone has a kingdom to start. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, Greece was his unsold pilot. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, and he, he was, a, a by all accounts, a pretty good king of Belgium, if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, waffles. B- waffles and chocolate. Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Getting oh, beer, invaded I guess. by they the like Germans. The beer. Yeah, getting, great beer. Getting uh, jammed by the Germans. Great beer. Great at getting jammed by the Germans. Yeah. That's Belgium in a nutshell. Yep. Um, but yeah, he was a good king. While he was king midway through his reign in 1848, there was like this big year of revolutions all across Europe. And all these European countries had their monarchs overthrown, except mm-hmm. for Belgium. So he the was Christian very popular. The Christian spring, we call that. Yes. <laughs> or no, the, the oh, white, white man's spring. <laughs> I don't know. That's the last matter. 300 years. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a time. What a time for the whites. Give it up for the whites. Yeah. Um, so Leopold I, solid king. Uh, I've got two main sources for today's podcast, which I, I should note now. The first is a biography called Leopold II, King of Belgium. Uh, it's a pro-monarchist book that was written in 1910. Great. Um, the article is critical of, of Leopold sometimes, but he thinks he was like a great king, and he thinks kings are a good idea. Yeah. So it's an interesting book because it l- gives you an idea of how Leopold himself would sort of present himself and defend himself. It yeah. lets you know what the propaganda at the time was. Well, and also, right, just critical enough to be legitimate. Well, no. No? It's totally... I guess for the time it wasn't bad. Oh, but what I mean like is a, the the you you put in just the the faintest of criticism to give the exactly. rest of it more the you know yeah oh this is a real investigation yeah it's like the monarch's equivalent of one of those like celebrity biographies yeah that yeah comes out a about softball. Ben Affleck or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, this is a Geraldo interview of 
books. Exactly. Great. Exactly. And then the other book is a book called King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hochschild, which uh, takes the stance that Leopold was one of history's great monsters. <laughs> anyway, so these are these are most of what I come from is sort of the contrasting views that these two books present. Well, can I ask, you read two books for a podcast? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> come on, dog. There's a lot to dig into here. Oh, wow. Um, and there's not a lot. You're making me feel real bad. I'm like usually good for half a Wikipedia article. Holy shit. Well, this is at least the equivalent of like four Wikipedia articles. Yeah, so that's buckle a up. lot. Jeez, go ahead. All right. So uh, Leopold II's mom, Louise, was almost a love match, is the, the term the book uses, for his dad, the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says this because the king was already in love with her uh, before they got married. Hey, when she was a teenager. So that, what a nice thing. That makes it a love match. That's so nice. He liked her when she was 14. Yeah. So it's love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The 1800s were a hell of a time. And she had the right land, I assume? Uh, yeah, she had some nice land, I'm related guessing. Related to the right enemies? She was with, I think, from the Orléans family, so she was like, no doubt, she had yeah. some solid-ass royal pedigree. We all love them. You know, you get some German from King Leopold I, you get a little bit of French from his wife, and then mm-hmm. their baby is sort of a mix, so maybe Germany and France won't fight over Belgium. And, oh, wow, yeah. what a brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brave Didn't win, yeah. yeah. So Leopold II was born Leopold Louis-Philippe Marie Victor, uh, and he was his parents' second child. His older brother died 11 months before he was born. Nice. Um, so if you think about that timeline a lot, it's not very fun, because uh, mm-hmm. Leopold's older brother is born. Yeah. He dies. Yeah. And 11 months later, yeah. they pop out another yeah. son. Yeah. Immediately. Immediately. Not a lot of mourning time. Nah. Yeah. Or maybe they just kind of, you know, fuck the pain away. But Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what happened. That's the optimistic look. Yeah. Um, all right. So at age five, Leopold's father declared him Duke of Brabant, which is how he was addressed right up until his coronation. Uh, here's Sorry, a- you said five? Age five. Yeah, age five. Great. Yeah, okay. you can, you're old enough to be a duke at age five. Mm-hmm. And he, look, he, mm-hmm. he looks like he looks Ooh. like he should be ruling people in this picture. What a pretty little duke. We'll have the pictures up on our website. He has no chin. Um, yeah. And a kind of a lopsided face, but maybe that's just the painting. Looks a little bit like a ghost, like a human yeah. ghost. It looks like the painting of a, a ghost that you find in the basement of an old house. Yeah. And then, like, there's a rush of wind and the camera falls over and, like, yeah. your friend gets mauled by yeah. a spirit. Yeah. And that's this guy's selfie, essentially. Yeah. That's yeah. this guy's, like, this is the image we want to put out into the world. Yeah, this was, like, hanging in palaces and yeah. shit. Yeah, tight. So he looks like a creeper from day one. Yeah, a little one. spooky boy. But he's still a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, biography notes that Leopold and his siblings were brought up in, quote, the simplest manner and taught to behave as if they were normal citizens rather than royalty. Uh, that sounds great until you get to the next part. Quote, the king further expressed the wish to develop in the children the sentiment of duty and not to allow them to have an opinion of their own with regard to their duties and their studies. Um, Basically, Mm -hmm. the the king was trying to crush the individuality of his kids so that they would just fit the role of king. That's kind of good, actually. Is it? Isn't that, well, what else are you going to do? Because they got to do this dumb job. Well, I mean, you could try to make them be healthy, fully formed people. Yeah, but why? Then they got to be king. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. that's fair. So I mean, you're, you're taking Leopold the first side. Yeah, well, he's the good one again. I probably yeah. had his chocolate. Um, no, but right, isn't that the the he's 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 just as trapped as everyone else, you know? He, yes. So if he's got to do this thing, you might as well make it so he can do this thing. 
Okay, so you're expressing some motivation maybe to... Why you would do this. Why you would do what he winds up doing. I mean... And you don't even know what he winds up doing. What does he do? (laughs) Yeah, what did I just defend? We are... I still stand... Let me just say right now, whatever he does, I stand behind it. Well, he kills about 10 to 15 million people. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, well... (laughs) What's that? Um, So when Leopold is 15, his mom dies of some illness or another. It's one of those things where the writers at the time aren't specific. They're just like, she took ill and was sick for, like, and then she she dies. Yeah, yeah. It's probably diphtheria or some weird named old-time disease. Yeah. If it was the flu, it would be a big deal, I guess. I mean, it probably is a flu. Like, that killed everybody back then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in King Leopold's Ghost, Adam Hochschild describes uh, Leopold's childhood as being kind of stark and cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote, if Leopold wanted to see his father, he had to apply for an audience. When the father had something to tell the I... son, he communicated it through one of his secretaries. I mean, look, this is not just uh, 18th century uh, arrested development. It's yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, that's a kind of kind of what's going on. Like, he definitely has a Buster Bluth vibe to him. Yeah. Um, the, again, especially once you see this fucking painting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You'll get it, audience. The biography that was written at the time says that it is worthy of note that the late king never had any comrades or playmates. His childhood was passed among his teachers and tutors, and the disciplinarian father made even more the relationship with his brother and sister a very formal one. Frank childish gaiety and brotherly expansion and confidence were banished. The prince's thoughts thus became concentrated upon himself and his natural activity and vitality. His exuberant strength were expended on work and study tight yeah so about it no friends does nothing but work yeah uh, who needs like fr- we, he is a duke yeah i this mean he's, like, he's already achieved a lot i mean he is kind of a boss baby yeah just throwing that out there so he, he he grows up he serves in the belgian military he apparently does okay by his early 20s uh leopold becomes an influential figure in belgian politics you know he's the crown prince everyone yeah. knows he's gonna wind he's up being king influential yeah <laughs> and he kind of looks a little like adam driver he yeah he looks here he looks like a anime Adam Driver yeah yeah, yeah. that's who you would cast as anime Adam Driver yeah yeah in the, yeah in the movie so um, like many rich young people he traveled far and wide in his early twenties he went all throughout the Middle East North Africa parts of Asia uh, but he was not traveling for his enjoyment he uh, was basically traveling the biography says as like a, a commercial employee so he was essentially mm. looking for financial opportunities for Belgium because this is the period when all of Europe is colonizing the entire world yeah and Belgium doesn't have a colony yeah. so he's traveling all around the Middle East and Asia basically being like what can yeah, we well, take yeah whose land can we take yeah yeah what can we get does this hop ahead to the Belgium? Congo Oh, yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. that's where we're headed. Tight. Okay. okay. How do I know that tiny bit of history? It's one of those things that drops in every now and then. You'll oh. hear like, oh, yeah, the Belgians did something bad in the Congo, but you don't ever get I don't know any details. The whole story. In fact, yeah. I probably know more plot points from Michael Crichton's The Congo than, the, uh, than reality's The Congo. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's unconfirmed reports that he, he tried to find the lost city of Zinge, but no. That's Great. Not, no. Um, great movie. Is that what, that what they were doing there? Yeah, yeah. They're trying to find diamonds that a monkey... There was a monkey city. And yeah. they were trying to find diamonds yeah. and the monkeys were evil. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. more what I remember. Solid To film. be honest. Really yeah. solid film. Yeah. yeah. There's a laser. There is a laser. Yeah, there's definitely a laser in that movie. Oh, man. What a weird... <laughs> it's a ride. Michael Crichton. We're still <laughs> watching his bullshit. I can't believe Westworld. Oh, my God. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Um, okay. 
So uh, Prince Leopold, one of his favorite books as he's a young man studying, trying to find a new colony for Belgium, is mm-hmm. a, a book about the Dutch East Indies called uh, <laughs> Java, How to Manage a Colony. Uh, Tight. Yeah. <laughs> why would you? Oh, my God. I mean, I guess that's why you have to tell people your favorite book is. But yeah, that's... Oy. Well, no, I mean, because so the book is all about how the Dutch colonized the island of Java and how they got a shitload of coffee and sugar and like dyes and tobacco. And it, it made basically made so much money that they were able to buy a bunch of railroads and canals back mm-hmm. in Holland. Um, so like the book is all about that. So so it, it outlines sort of how they were able to monetize Java so well. And like it talks about how the king basically brought in a bunch of private companies and mm-hmm. became a major shareholder in those companies. And it was the company's job to farm the land and to produce the resources and right. then to export them to Belgium. So the king didn't have to send Dutch government workers over yeah. to do anything. The king just said, I own Java. Corporations come in, give me a stake in your profits yeah. and do whatever you want. I think it's just cool to have political leaders also own corporations. That has never been a problem and never will be a problem. No, it seems to always work out yeah. great. Um, it seems to work out great 100% of the time. Um, the book also did note that the Dutch profits in Java would have been impossible without a huge amount of forced labor. Uh, and <laughs> young Prince Leopold agreed with this and said that forced labor was, quote, the only way to civilize and uplift these indolent and corrupt peoples of the Far East. Yeah. Yeah. He ain't wrong. No. <laughs> Go ahead. What else? What else you got? I thought you said this guy was bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, so late in his dukedom, you know, a few years before he becomes king, Leopold gets up in front of Belgium's Senate and he urges them to take up foreign colonies. So they got a king and a Senate. Yeah. Yeah. How's that work? So uh, basically the king of Belgium is kind of a ceremonial figure. He's got a, oh, he's okay. got more power than like the queen in England has today. But it's heading towards. But it's heading towards that. No, there's no formal power, lots of soft power. Lots of soft power and a little bit of formal power. Okay. But um you can't do things as the king like just make colonies. Right. Um, you can't do things as the king like send the army places. Yeah, yeah. Um and so Leopold's dad seems to be okay with that. Yeah. But Leopold II is growing up chomping at the bent to do shit and yeah. doesn't want to become a monarch who just waves at the crowd. Why? Um, yeah, why not? So he gets up in front of the Senate and he says, quote, I am profoundly convinced of our vast resources and I passionately wish that my beautiful country would show the necessary pluck to derive all the benefit which, in my opinion, it can derive. I think that the moment for our expansion abroad has arrived. We must not lose time. Otherwise, the best positions and markets, which are becoming more rare every day, will be occupied by nations more enterprising than ourselves and when he talks about positions and markets he's talking about yeah whole countries and stuff i mean <laughs> millions of people it's more chilling in the original flemish yeah flemish yes yeah, yeah he nailed it <laughs> nice. although he probably would have been speaking uh just french for ah, boo. Yeah. all right so I uh, to say flemish well, you can say Flint. You can say I'm Walloon getting, if you want. I'm getting. What is that? Is That's that the, the other, other group of people. There's the, right. So Belgium is made up of Flemish people and Walloons. Yeah, the Wallonatics. Yeah, of course. Bandaid on their face. We get it. That's a rough name to grow into the world stage. Taking on. Uh well, you know, you gotta get en- you get enough rifles, get enough cutlasses everything starts to make sense i don't feel like it does i feel like germany was so fierce in part because german is like that's like an imposing oh, yeah. name like the germans are coming yeah like, imagine if if the name got switched and the belgians were called the germans and like the nazis had tried to invade and everyone was like oh the walloons are invading yeah like, that's not gonna go as yeah well. yeah well listen let's boot up uh 
a risk game? Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Leopold I, uh, Leopold II's dad, died in December of 1865, the same year the American Civil War ended. Leopold is now the king and 30 years old. Uh, this appears to be the point when he decided to grow a gigantic mountain man beard. Tight. Which he would uh, maintain for the rest of his he days. He needed it. Yeah, well, yeah. there's a lot of pictures of Leopold with a beard. We'll post them on the site. Some of them look uncomfortably like me. Some of them are clear missteps in the beard growing process where sure. he's got like gigantic mutton chops and it's he looks like a fucking hair octopus. Style of the time, though. Yeah. He he went through some rough patches in his uh, sartorial history for sure. That's pretty that's that yeah. ain't easy. Kind of like, uh we're looking at Yeah, that's a rough picture. Dem chops. Yeah. And it's almost he's almost wearing bell bottoms in that picture. Hey, it's the sixties. <laughs> well it is the eighteen sixties. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, Leopold's the king of Belgium. He's super frustrated because the king doesn't have that much in the way of power. Uh, Leopold takes to sort of mocking the the restrained role that he has in Belgian mm-hmm. politics. There's a story of like this guy who came to visit him because uh, like you know the king's got a visit with like his donors and benefactors and whatnot. And this guy complains about the poor state of the roads around his property, and Leopold interrupts him and says, "I have no authority to change the roads. You ought to address yourself to the press, especially to the small papers. The municipality and the government will do anything they ask." So he was like, he was, he was like he making a point of yeah. being frustrated that like I can't do anything, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna like take it to the press. Mm-hmm. The king's not allowed to do anything. Um, he sort of set to work making himself into kind of an image for the Belgian people. He was the aristocratic equivalent of an alpha male. Uh, he spent a lot of time doing science work and, and, and <laughs> you know, supporting the arts and sciences. Uh, 19th century science is just like beakers of lead and shit he's, like that. He's pouring yeah. colored water yeah, into yeah. beakers. He's got goggles on. You, yeah. know, you know how this Hell all yeah. goes. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote from his biography that says, uh, he used to sleep in a camp bed, so like a military cot, and had a general horror of everything that could innervate or render him effeminate. So mm-hmm. he's kind mm-hmm. of like a he's a he's a proud boy proud boy yeah, yeah that's what <laughs> they call uh, people who aren't racist soy boys is that right yeah because Sorry, they, um, they, eating of... soy feminizes you again yeah that's what right. the that's the, the alt right thing yeah um, hey well at least we know that they have a, a, a nice historical antecedent Leopold would have been all about that yeah. stuff yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. he's growing a giant weird beard he's sleeping yeah. in a palace in a military cot yeah. he's scared of girls. Uh, he hates spending money. Uh, his biography says, quote, his pocket handkerchief was only renewed on Sunday mornings when going to mass and on no account would he take another in the interval. If his valets changed his towels more than once a week, they were sure to receive a good scolding from his majesty. What? So he's like a gross miser. Yeah. <laughs> Don't clean those towels. Oh, which one of those, wasn't one of the alt-right guys living in their mom's basement? I think most of them are. I, but well, definitely yeah, Roosh V. That, yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. That guy, yes. yeah, Rouge V, the the pickup artist guy that was found living in his mom's basement, oh, literally man. living in his mom's basement. Yeah, that's what this guy was. Uh, Leopold was missing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess the beard, the beard experiment, well, clearly on that vector. His mom died young, so he became a king. Yeah. Yep. Instead, okay, that's called peacocking. Everyone, that's <laughs> how you attract women's Having attention. Having a kingdom. Yeah, being a king. 
I mean, having a castle is pretty solid peacocking. That's true. Yeah. Undeniable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Leopold II was noted in his biography as the first king to treat his kingship as a corporate endeavor. His primary concern was making money, not for Belgium, but for himself. It yeah. was all about the bottom line. Yeah. Um, so there's, um, like, when you talk about dictators and warlords and terrorists, there's, like, a, a, a tendency to call them psychopaths and sociopaths. And yeah. Like, sociopath is, like, an actual medical diagnosis. And I don't think guys like Hitler or Stalin yeah. really fit it. Because um, they all had histories of like warm family life and like people who cared about them and people that they like sacrificed for at yeah. times. Leopold might have been a straight up like he's Dexter level monster. Yeah, because that's that's what they say, right? Is like so many uh, CEOs and Fortune five hundred, uh, whatever the fuck. Yeah. They're overrepresented yeah, in corporate in, in leadership. Like, yeah, psychopathic traits. Yeah, even his positive biography says that while he was charming, he was, quote, devoid of enthusiasm himself and was quite incapable of arousing any in others. So he just can't yeah. actually touch people's heart. In yeah. Like he can't motivate people. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're going to get more into the soulless Leopold II, his Great. scheme to find a colony and the colony mm-hmm. that he eventually founds. Uh, yeah. But first, we've got some ads. Uh, yeah. Of course, we all realize it's a pro-corporate podcast, so let's yes. keep it real. <laughs> Here's some buying advice. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Uh, we're back. We're talking about King Leopold, who is searching for a little colony somewhere in the world to mm-hmm. fill that hole Leopold, in his heart. The deuce, of course. Yeah, Leopold the deuce. Uh, Leopold II, Electric Boogaloo, whatever you want to call him. We were just talking about what a soulless sociopathic creep he is. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. Um, yeah, allegedly. Well, here's another quote. Again, this is from like a positive pro-Leopold yeah. biography that he probably paid for. He disliked music, hunting, tobacco, and had no taste for physical exercises except walking. Although a frequent visitor at Austin, which is like one of his palaces, he never learned to swim. He was seen yawning in a gala performance of Faust. So hmm. he doesn't like plays. He doesn't like art. He, do- he hates yeah. music. Like, that's a thing. Any book you read about him, anyone who knew him, he hated music. Like, huh. not like he hated popular music, but yeah, like yeah. music itself was offensive to him. So, that's so, that's fascinating. Well, that's cutting into the uh, American psycho narrative. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's a weird guy. He's very vain. Um, but his main vanity was quite odd. He thought he had the most beautiful hands in all of Europe. Tight. Uh, his biography... No- <laughs> what? <laughs> his biography notes, another of Leopold's hobbies was his dislike for gloves. And although he often wore uniform, he is never reported to have put on gloves. It may have been a hatred of restraint, but more probably it was a pardonable vanity on the part of the late king, for he possessed the shapely and beautiful hand of the Orléans family. That rules so hard <laughs> here's the only picture i could his find good ass that hand. shows oh, his gloves. good ass hands no, oh, no. He, he's, he's holding the gloves in his hand so his hand is naked. that's even stronger actually yeah like reminding people you could be wearing gloves i'm the master of the yeah and his i mean in fairness to him his hands are beautiful in this picture of course i mean they're just just look at the bone definition yeah they're, they are shapely they good ass hands yeah they um, good ass hands oh man so that means that he made <laughs> Some painter do multiple drafts on those hands. <laughs> That's like, this is like a, isn't it? Wait, Rest of Development where the guy has a fake hand? Oh, no, yeah, it's the, Always Sunny, Always Sunny where the yeah, guy the has a fake hand. Yeah, the lawyer in Always Sunny always yeah. has fake hands. And oh. a, yeah, then there's some things to be said about our president and hands. Nah. It's weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird that you would even, like, I never think about my hands. Yeah. Like, how they look. Like, when I'm thinking about someone taking a picture of me, like, 0% of the time, I'm like, oh, my God, my hands, do they look shapely? Do you know what's crazy is I had to send a picture of a piece of equipment for this job I'm on to a technical person. And I just took a picture of my phone and sent it to them. And I realized as I was sending the email, I was like, my hands look fucked up in this. 
I'm having a real uh, low hand self-esteem day. Oh, I think you have the shapely hands of the Orleans family. I, no, you're being really nice right now, but th- it's a, actually a little hilarious that the one day possibly in my life that I've noticed my hands. <laughs> you're just uh, like, these are horrible. I was like, what the fuck is up with my hands? If only these were feet. Yeah. yeah. I've been an arm model before. My friend was doing some... Not like, you know, elbows down. I was doing was doing some stock photography and I was like, I want to take pictures of your arms and I was like, You're wiling out. So you know what? I'm good I'm good wrist to elbow. Wrist to elbow. Yeah, I got spot. I got forearm my forearms are I'm about it. Well, no, Leopold really. <laughs> was a hand man. Yeah. So we've got this frustrated, greedy, gorgeous handed king on the throne of Belgium. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, he mm-hmm. keeps trying to get his countrymen to jump on board the having a colony train, but the people of Belgium express zero interest in this. Oh, okay. Wait, yeah. why? What do you mean? Uh, uh, all right, because obviously all European colonialism is pretty much the root of almost everything that's wrong in the world right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, it sure is. But I don't understand why they, I mean, they certainly didn't. I'm going to, I guess, not want to do it for the reasons why I don't think they should have done it. I think the Belgians, for one thing, so the Belgians of this era, anyone who's like a mature adult lived through, what was at that point, the equivalent oh. of like World War II, the Napoleonic yeah. Wars. And they're just like, we just don't want any trouble. Like, yeah. we just want to stay in Belgium and eat chocolate and drink beer. We don't really want to go to Africa or, yeah. or Asia can I, and can like I say the first of, die. <laughs> not the first. Can I say can continue an incredibly list long list of ignorant ass shit I'm about to say? You, you do you. Is Belgium landlocked? No. No. No, right? no, okay. no, no. It has a Antwerp. Antwerp, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. A it's number of ports, small. I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's a wee little country. You can drive across it in a couple of hours. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was just like Okay, never yeah. mind. I was just like, it's funny to imagine a landlocked country owning stuff but of course they can who gives a shit but they're not landlocked so fuck me yeah no they're not um they didn't have a colony at this point uh, yeah and they seem to have zero interest in in having one that's um, crazy now at the same time from 1874 to 1877 when leopold's like a decade or so into his kinghood there's this explorer named henry morton stanley mm-hmm. uh and yeah from 74 to 77 he completes a 7,000 mile expedition across central africa much of his travel centered upon the still undiscovered by, like, white people, Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one had, like, mapped the extent of the Congo River. We didn't know where it, like, originated from at this point. Um, so in, in at this time in European history, like, different explorers mapping Africa are kind of like the Marvel movie franchise of the day. Yeah. Like, each of these guys is world famous, and, like, newspapers breathlessly cover every expedition. And yeah. whenever they finish an expedition, they write a book, and millions of people buy it. So, Automatically like, this is profitable. Like, exactly. Yeah, great. This is, like, the thing people care about yeah. at this point in time. It's, like, what these explorers oh, are doing all in Africa and all over the world. Like That just means if Pole. I were alive then and a white person... Two big Fs. Um, <laughs> I would be like struggling to get on one of the good expeditions. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really like fingers crossed. It's not one of the ones where people eat each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which oh, statistically, man. a lot of them are. Yeah. Um. So Stanley maps like a huge chunk of the Congo, more than anyone had ever done before, and it's like big news. He gets back to Europe from Africa, and he goes on tour. He's doing like speaking engagements. He's a mm-hmm. big celebrity. I feel like there's a lot of like skulls and calipers in a talk like this. Yeah, and probably. <laughs> buckets of racism yeah like, like totally unexamined racism uh um, um, why look don't yeah. look if you don't look it's not there yeah well that's the racist motto 
Um, so he's he's touring around, and King Leopold winds up meeting with him. Um, Stanley had been bullish on the idea that the Congo would be a great place for a colony, mm-hmm. and he wanted the British to set up a colony there. The OGs. Um, you want to go to the the best uh, colonizing studio first. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. like the the is Paramount good? Probably not. Right? Uh, I don't know anything about the, this Warner Brothers. City we all live in the the Disney. This Disney. Is the, that's the Disney. Disney. Yeah, Britain's the Disney of colonizing. Yeah. And and instead he goes to I don't know who's who's making DC's garbage movies. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Yeah. Okay. So Leopold's Warner Brothers. No, they're not even in it. Leopold is like This um, has gotten very confusing. Leopold is like uh uh Snapchat making stuff. Like technically <laughs> they got the or YouTube. Like it's a YouTube show. Yeah, you know it's what? like they let's, got the money. Let's actually they call have it no history for it, but who knows? I feel like we actually hit upon the right thing to compare him to, which is Amazon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's so right. Stanley tries to sell his Congo idea to Disney yeah. slash Britain, and it fails. And King Leopold, a.k.a. Amazon's like, yeah. well, we might well, be interested in yeah. this plan. Yeah. We'll, we'll fund this. Why Let's don't do you, it. Why don't you give me your elevator pitch? Colony in the Congo, huh? Uh-huh. I like it. I like this idea. Yeah, so Leopold uh, contracts Stanley to work for him, and he sends him back to Africa with a new mission. Mm-hmm. So Leopold's master plan here, I'm going to peel back for a minute, and then we're going to zoom into the different pieces, because okay. it's a complicated-ass plan. Great. His master plan is to create the Congo Free State, which is a supposedly independent African nation that just happened to also be ruled by King Leopold II. Sure. Um, so... He went about doing this in a few ways. Uh, In 1876, he hosted the Brussels Geographic Conference, where he invited a bunch of European experts to form the so-called International African Association, which, of course, had no Africans as members. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The association was a supposedly philanthropic organization. I'm going to read you a selection from Leopold's speech at the conference where he sort of lays out what he wants to do. The subject that calls us together today is one that demands a first place in the attention of friends of humanity, to open up to civilization the only part of our globe where she has not yet penetrated. To pierce the darkness that envelops entire populations is, I may venture to say, a crusade worthy of this century of progress, and I am glad to observe how very favorable public feeling is to its accomplishment. The current is with us. So he gets this association together, and he says, this is an international group, and we're trying to civilize Africa and improve lives of people who are there. I didn't realize that back then the rhetoric was already like... The kind of like, oh, this is this is to help them double speak. I actually just assumed they were like, yeah, we're gonna take this shit from black people. No, they they are, and the, these guys, the people that he invites to the uh, the geographic conference and forms the International African Association with, these guys are pe- a lot of people who legitimately want to make things better for Africans who aren't even thinking about making. A colony, yeah, yeah. Who are these just are like, the well-meaning yeah. liberal white people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like missionaries who are like, and like well-meaning liberal white people because there's an Arab slave trade in Africa, like traders mm-hmm. moving through the Congo, and the abolition movement is very big at this point in time. And so these people are being like, we've got to stop the slave trade in Africa. So Leopold's oh. like, we can do that. And there's a bunch of people who are like, we've got to Christianize the Africans. And Leopold's yeah. like, we can do that. And like, th- so that's that's what he's claiming this association oh, is. Okay, so this is right. Yeah. This is like definitely like colonialism 2.0 or 3.0. He's like, steps ahead of everyone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not even framing this as colonialism. He's framing this as a charitable endeavor to right. improve well, the lives. Exactly. exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he suggests that Belgium would be a great place for this new international body to meet because it's mm-hmm. a neutral country and it's centrally located in Europe. 
And then he suggests that he might be a good person to run the association just for its first year. Got to you know, pitch yourself. Yeah, you know, you got to be confident. Just for its first year. Uh, and he assures them all that he's doing this from the goodness of his heart. Uh, he says, Belgium is small. She is happy and satisfied with her lot. I have no other ambition than to serve her well. And it was true that Belgians were pretty happy with their lot. But mm-hmm. Leopold did have some ambitions. Mm-hmm. So he gets elected head of the International African Association uh, the first year. And then he gets elected the head of it the second year, too, even though that was supposed to be illegal. Mm-hmm. Back to back. And then the association kind of stops existing. And uh-huh. Leopold replaces it with the Committee for Studies of the Upper Congo. And then he replaces that with the International Association for the Congo. On paper, these are all different international philanthropic groups. Their names were deliberately forgettable and similar, so the public would assume they were all the same thing. Uh, in King Leopold's Ghost, Adam Hochschild writes that Leopold directly told his aides, quote, Care must be taken not to let it be obvious that the Association of the Congo and the African Association are two different things. The public doesn't grasp that. So, in reality, all of these philanthropic groups are shadow fronts for Leopold's plan to conquer the Congo. So, they're all charity organizations that he gets international aid money getting sent into, and he's able to pour Belgian government funds into as loans and donations. Just like Hillary Clinton. Exactly like Hillary Clinton. Yes. Uh, You've watched the documentary (laughs) Clinton Cash by Denise D'Souza. Yes. (laughs) Um... (laughs) The thing that's amazing about this is it's so complicated a plan that doesn't feel like, I mean, I, you know, I'm a super smart person, of course. I'm not f- finding a place where you could improvise your way into this. You, you just got to wait because we're not even halfway through the yeah. plan. Like, this okay. is, like he's, he is a legitimate, like, okay, so the villain that Marvel keeps trying to write and, like, failing to write, yeah, in my yeah. opinion, where it's, like, the Loki character where they're, he's got all these plans within plans yeah. and he's a step ahead. Leopold actually was that guy to yeah. the whole world. But in sort of the same villainous way, you're yeah. like, this is insane. There's so many things that could go wrong in this. So he's now created three different philanthropic associations sure. just because, like, the backers will start realizing that the association's fake and they'll pull their money, but he'll keep the organization alive or he'll roll its assets into a new organization and nobody who got caught who realized that this was some weird shell company wants to admit that they got caught so they just don't say anything and the public just hears like oh it's the 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 new thing is out the international african association it's that group of people trying to make life better in africa right 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 um so he all these groups are basically funneling money into the work of henry morton stanley that explorer who leopold sent back to africa So Leopold sent him back in 1879, and his job was to start building, using the association money, a series of stations along the Congo River to act as like waypoints for steamboat traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also met with hundreds of local chiefs all throughout the Congo, all the different people who had chunks of land throughout the Congo, the different villages and chiefs, hundreds and hundreds of them. He meets with these guys, and he gets them to sign treaties giving up their rights to the land. Uh, Here's a quote from Hochschild's book. The very word treaty is a euphemism for many chiefs had no idea what they were signing. Few had ever seen the written word before, and they were being asked to mark their existed documents in a foreign language and in legalese. These guys weren't ignorant of the concept of diplomacy. They knew what it meant to write treaties of friendship with neighboring tribes or villages. They understood the idea of a non-aggression pact, and that's what they thought these were. The reality was somewhat different. Quote, in return for one piece of cloth per month to each of the undersigned chiefs, besides present of cloth in hand, they promised to freely of their own accord for themselves and their heirs and successors 
forever give up to said association the sovereignty and all sovereign and governing rights to all their territories. Uh-huh. So basically, he gives them cloth. They yeah. think that they're getting some sick ass clothes just to for sign like a aggression pack yeah, with yeah. the white like, people. This is a this is a thing. Here's our yeah. everyone gets a jersey. And... You you give us shirts. We promise we won't shoot you. We don't want to shoot you anyway. That sounds yeah. great. In reality, these are all statements saying that they, they give up all their rights to the International African Association, and the association will have the right to collect taxes on yeah. the people who gave up their rights to their land. And those taxes, because there's no currency in most of the Congo, those taxes can be paid in labor. Uh-huh. So Leopold gets hundreds of chiefs through yeah. Stanley to sign these agreements. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So Europe thinks Stanley's over there doing valuable philanthropic work, fighting with the slave traders and trying to open the Congo up to free trade. That's yeah. the big buzzword everyone's using. It's like, we're going to open the Congo up to free trade, and it'll benefit the Africans, it'll benefit Europe. Everyone will benefit if there's free trade in the Congo. Uh, meanwhile, what he's actually doing is getting pieces of paper that give Leopold the rights to the Congo, that make right. it look like all these chiefs have come together and said, we want this guy to yeah. be our king and we want to be a country. So uh, I feel like I should break for just a second and talk a little bit more about Henry Morton Stanley, who's the guy who's actually doing all this legwork. He was one of the greatest explorers in history, and he was also a human garbage fire. Yeah, sort of a Darth um, Vader type. Definitely a Darth Vader type. Yeah. He was terrified by the thought of being touched by a woman, just like Darth, Darth Vader. That's very true. Uh, he once cut off his own dog's tail, cooked it, and fed it to the dog for no real reason. Um, and he basically, when I say he was an explorer, he shot his way through Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Here's a quote from a description of one of Stanley's expeditions in King Leopold's Ghost. To those unfortunate enough to live in its path, the expedition felt like an invading army, for it sometimes held women and children hostage until local chiefs supplied food. Um, So yeah, he's shooting his way through these tribes, taking their food, taking their shit, um, burning down villages if yeah. there's any resistance. Um, one of his men described just hunting people like the predator, like laying in wait and just shooting random strangers. Yeah. Um, like uh, Less ethical than the predator, who yeah, we should less point e- out has a certain code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way less ethical than the predator. So these guys are predatoring their way through, through Africa Let right me, now. I, but they're not particularly worse than any other explorer of the time i would he's one of the worst okay they, they vary so the, henry morton stanley you know the dr livingston i presume yeah that, he's that guy yeah yeah uh, and dr livingston was apparently a, a pretty nice guy he was also an explorer and actually would like get to know people and like and yeah. himself into the local culture so some of these guys are legitimately just in it for the sake of exploration and they're scientists and they're good to the people they yeah. encounter and some of them like stanley just want to make a shitload of money and they're creepy right. violent weirdos and stanley is one of the kills thousands of people while he's exploring got it got it yeah. I, I just want to I, I guess what i meant not as a mitigating thing of like everyone was doing it but like a if not the only standard practice it was not what you're describing is not not he's, a standard practice. He's, it's definitely common practice yeah. among a lot of these guys. But he's, he's not extreme, nearly the only maybe. one. Yeah. But he's one of the worst, yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, so, yeah. 
while Stanley's expedition is going on, Leopold also hires a bunch of other expeditions to explore other parts of Africa. These were deliberately showy expeditions meant to distract public attention. One of them involved a team of four Indian elephants being sent to Africa to see if they could breed with African elephants. All of the elephants died horribly, but the news covered the story the whole time. Oh, so nobody's man. reading about what Stanley's doing because they think it's a boring philanthropical mission. And there's this crazy story about elephants. God, Let's read about that's that. so fucking dark. <laughs> yeah, Holy shit. So he's clearly understands the media well enough that he's not just thinking about how to accomplish his plan, but how to distract public attention while he does it. Uh, when Morton Stanley gets back from his uh, expedition, he writes a book. It's an instant bestseller. King Leopold edits it himself. That's one of the things he'd insisted on is that Stanley could write a book about this. Yeah. Uh, but King Leopold would get to edit it. And most of what he did was correct the times when Stanley mixed up the different associations and committees that he was <laughs> supposedly working uh -huh. for because nobody could keep it straight but Leopold. That's such an attention to detail. That's unbelievable. Like I said, he's the first modern Truly modern yeah. bastard. Yeah. Um, so this book is sort of framed as like Henry Morton Stanley's helping the the Congo Free State be born and helping these mm -hmm. these Africans like take their stab at nationhood and joining the international community and whatnot. So that's how the, all this is being played in the outside world. The reality yeah. in the Congo is very different. Uh, and what happens next is uh, not what anyone but Leopold had expected. Right. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, but right now. Uh, Andrew, do you have too much money? Oh, hell yeah. Well, one of the great things to do with too much money is spend it on products. Products <laughs> like the ones that I'm going to talk about now. Here's uh. ads. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. 
For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So we're back, uh, and King Leopold has uh, sent an explorer off to the Congo to trick a bunch of tribespeople into signing away their rights to the land mm-hmm. while he's distracted the rest of Europe with a bunch of showy expeditions. Uh, it's so um, it's just like it used to be just like cannons and soldiers mm-hmm. and s- swords, I guess. And now it's PR and That's uh, incredible and fake treaties and stuff. Yeah, wow, it's really modern in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so Leopold, uh, has this new best-selling book that's talking about the great stuff he's trying to do in the Congo. That gets the public jazz. And he's able to sort of further push the legitimacy of his project by getting the U.S. president, Chester A. Arthur, Mm -hmm. to recognize the Congo Free State. Leopold had charmed the former U.S. minister to Belgium, a guy who called himself General Sanford, even though he wasn't (laughs) actually a general. Sure. Um... Uh, but he was a, a rich guy who yeah. had a lot of money and like an orange plantation. And because he was a rich guy, he was able to get the president's ear. Uh, General Sanford appealed to President Arthur's dislike of Arabs uh, mm-hmm. because, again, there were all these Arab slave oh traders. My God. So, um, yeah, so just. <laughs> yes, nothing's changed. Never, yeah, okay. <laughs> nothing's new. Yeah, so Chester A. Arthur was. Uh, he also pointed out that, that the Congo had been discovered by an American because Henry Morton Stanley called himself an American. He wasn't. Mm. He was actually British, but sure. he lied his whole life and said he was American. Great. Everyone lies about everything in the 1800s because yeah. there's no internet. Because there's no. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing to. Like, you, you run verify. into. Anything. A thousand colonels when you're reading anything in this period, and none of them are colonels. Sure. None of them were ever in the military. Great, <laughs> it's just great, like great. They're just, I'm going to be a colonel just now. fried chicken colonels. It's yeah. fine. And in this case, a general. Anyway, Chester A. Arthur was like, sounds great. Uh, Congo Free Street sounds like a great idea. You're going to fight some Arabs. Best part. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, so he included this next bit in his uh, State of the Union speech, recognizing the uh, Congo Free Street. Mm-hmm. Quote from Chester A. Arthur. The rich and populous Valley of the Congo, spelled with a K in this, is being opened by a society called the International African Association, of which the King of the Belgians is the president. Large tracts of territory have been ceded to the association by native chiefs. Roads have been opened, steamboats have been placed on the river, and the nuclei of states established under one flag which offers freedom to commerce and prohibits the slave trade. Oh, my God. So that's how Chester A. Arthur pictures it. So he got paid placement for his propaganda in the State of the Union. Yeah, in the State of the Union. Uh, So far, the people of Belgium and the other European states are fooled pretty well. But France and some other folks in, like, the British government and whatnot are starting to catch on to Leopold's plan and realize that he's making a power grab. This helped to spark a general, what's known as the scramble for Africa, where all of these European powers are like, oh my God, we're running oh. out of Africa to take over. Uh, so they start shooting out expeditions to claim the last pieces of the continent before it fills up. 
this all culminates in the Berlin Conference of 1884 to 85. Uh, and a bunch of stuff is decided there. But Leopold's main goal is to get recognition for what he starts calling the Congo Free State. He's basically like, I've got all these treaties. Like he, he gets up in front mm-hmm. of Europe and he's like, I got all these treaties. Look, the people of the Congo want to be their own state. They want me to be their king. They've given this, this state the rights to their land. Uh, and if you all back me in establishing the state, it'll be a free trade zone. So all everyone will be able to trade freely and mm-hmm. buy and sell freely in there. It'll make a bunch of money for everybody. So that's oh, Leopold's pitch. man. And Europe buys it. In of 1885, yeah. the Congo Free State is established. Leopold had to go in front of Belgium Senate to ask if he could be two kings at once. Uh, he promised that the Congo would be its own independent nation and that it would pay its own way in the world. He told Belgium he thought it was his duty to, quote, help the nations of second rank become useful members of the great family of nations. Then he asked for money, uh, a little loan to help the fledgling new nation. And he asked his fellow Belgians to volunteer to help in this bold project. Quote, more than any other, a manufacturing and commercial people like ourselves ought to strive to obtain a market for all its workers, for thinkers, capitalists, and workmen. So the Congo Free State is, on paper, a country with Leopold II as its absolute ruler. So he's gone from the king of Belgium, yeah. where he doesn't really have any power, to, to the a absolute real ruler yeah, of, a, of a country like 20 times the size of Belgium. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so the Congo Free State is... To all intents and purposes, a state. It has its own army, the Force Publique, which is made up of African soldiers led by Belgian officers. It's mm-hmm. illegal for black men to be officers in the army of the Congo. Yeah, um, that sounds that sounds about that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh man, Leopold has acquired himself an African empire. Unfortunately, he didn't want an empire. He had no desire to actually rule another. He just country. wanted money. He just wanted money. So, the Congo Free State is entirely a money-making scheme, Mm -hmm. and it's all based around rubber. So, the late Mm -hmm. 1800s is when rubber really started to take off. That's, like, in the the mid-1800s or so is when they figure out how to vulcanize rubber, which Mm -hmm. is what makes it, like, nice and shiny and stable, and it doesn't smell weird and fall apart. Um, it's so the Macintosh coat becomes popular around this time. People like in Europe are just like covered head to toe in rubber. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's like the, the fashion of the time. It's right. like people are just flipping out over rubber. Uh-huh. Um, it's a used bunch in, of fetishes are born. It's tons of fetishes are born. Time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, hot air balloons rely uh-huh. on it. It's like this one, it's a wonder material. It's like the first time people, they don't have to use glass for everything. Yeah. Um, so everyone's in love with rubber, but there's only two ways to make rubber at that time vines and trees now rubber vines grew wild all around the congo wait sorry the uh, the two ways are vines and trees there's rubber vines and there's rubber got trees. it yeah i thought it was going to be vegetation and chemistry no they haven't they didn't they do now we can make rubber yeah yeah, using yeah. Rubber, but they hadn't figured that course. shit out yeah yet. yeah um so actually harvesting all of the rubber from vines like the ones you grew in the congo required thousands and thousands of people climbing trees in the jungle there's the risk of snake bite and monster attacks and it's just it's just a nightmare harvesting yeah at large scale in the congo harvesting rubber from trees on the other hand is really easy and some enterprising people had already started planting groves of rubber trees in south america but those trees took about 20 years or so to really get going so leopold standing here in charge of the congo knows that he has about 20 20 years years to be the world's leading producer of rubber the congo free state was an basically just a giant rubber factory that was his whole vision for this land filled with millions of people yeah this is like 
the actual story of Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah. Oh, He's my... the real Willy Wonka. Yeah. Exactly. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So, now remember when I said that Leopold had the right to collect taxes in the form of labor? Mm-hmm. Well... He used these taxes to make Congolese people go harvest rubber for him. In theory, I think he was allowed to only demand like 40 hours a month from them or something. But what happened is that he would have his soldiers go from village to village and take hostages. These hostages would be put in concentration camps where they'd be starved and beaten until the village met its rubber quota. So Mm -hmm. if you didn't get all the rubber that you were supposed to get soon enough, your family would just starve to death. Yeah. Leopold's government did have a problem because obviously it needs soldiers to enforce these nightmarish rules. But white people die like crazy in the Congo. Um, like a th- more yeah. than a third of the Belgians who went there died there. And it's since, again, it's illegal for Africans to be officers in the force publique. Uh, there would wind up being like four or five Belgian guys commanding hundreds and hundreds of African soldiers. So that's like, obviously, you're treating yeah. these guys terribly. You're making them massacre their own people. And there's five of you for every 500 of them. That's like a recipe for yeah. a revolution. Or it would be if the soldiers had free access to bullets. One of the ways the Belgians controlled their army was by heavily restricting when anybody would get bullets and by policing their ammo so they couldn't hide any away. So each soldier would only be issued a certain amount of ammo when they'd go out to get rubber. And if they fired any rounds, they had to account for them. The general policy in the Congo became that if you fired a round, you had to provide a right hand from a corpse for every round that you shot. This was meant to stop people from stockpiling ammo, and it was meant to stop them from, like, hunting for animals. Yeah. When they should have been, you know, shooting people. Um, What this actually meant. Yeah, exactly. So, But that creates a market for right hands. Exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. For one thing, these soldiers aren't fed enough, so they're starving and they start hunting. And then once they've fired a couple of rounds to hunt an animal, they need to pick up, okay, well, we fired three rounds getting that that whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Now we need three hands. So we need to go into a village and we need to take some people's hands. And in addition to that, like, it becomes common if uh, if a village refuses to provide rubber, like, people are like, we're not going to work to you, we're not going to give up our relatives as hostages, the force public would just burn down the whole village. Uh, sometimes they just kill everybody in the entire village. Um, and this, this is happening on uh, basically an industrial scale. In 1903, a single rubber collecting post was sent more than 40,000 replacement rounds of ammunition. For every round that they're being sent, yeah, they've a got hand. a hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like the military units in the force publique even would have a keeper of the hands whose job was to smoke all of the severed hands so that they'd preserve so that you could go back to the authorities. That's your and be, evidence. We need 20,000 more bullets. Here's 20,000 human hands. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So in 1885, when this whole operation is just getting off the ground, King Leopold is named in British court as a client of what the British called a disorderly house. Uh, can you guess what a disorderly house was? Uh, probably not enough it's a punishment. B- hmm? Is it, what, no, go for it. Yeah, I don't no, know. No, it's, it's a brothel. Oh! Yeah, the, so, so while this is all starting off, King Leopold is going to a whorehouse in England. I thought it, uh, I thought you oh disorderly house meant like his dukedom didn't have like X or Y like paperwork <laughs> filed. No. no, no, no. While he's freshly the king of the Belgian Congo, uh, he's named in British court as a client of a whorehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say that he had been paying eight hundred pounds a month uh, for a steady supply of young women, some of whom were ten to fifteen years old. That's so I mean 
that's what Leopold's doing in between administering the Congo. Yeah. Um, and while he's doing that, his men in the Congo are building a system of roads, railways, posts, and steamboats that are meant to allow the rubber-making operation to prosper. Leopold doesn't want to pay for all this himself, so he claims the infrastructure is necessary so that the Free State's army can fight those dastardly Arab slavers. Mm-hmm. Um, the so other... he got the U.S. to pay for it? Or just generally? No, he got everyone yeah, else yeah. to pay for it. So he, he got in Europe on board with this by saying the Congo was going to be a free trade zone. Yeah. But then he's like, we need to build all this infrastructure in order to fight the slavers. So we're going to have to collect import taxes now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. He's just, he like, the one thing you can trust Leopold to do is he will fuck over every single person. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So now even these countries who had like gotten on board because they thought this was a free trade zone, they're getting screwed. Yeah. And of course, the millions of people whose hands he's having severed are getting screwed. I guess the key is just never stop lying. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Whenever you read about any of these guys, that is the most important thing. Yeah. Is never, ever stop lying. If you're going to be a monster, you have to lie consistently for decades about everything. All right. Yeah, I'm in. It works. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm in. I'll do it. <laughs> well, you'll be a great king of the Congo. <laughs> um, so, uh, to Leopold's credit, his men did fight Arab slave traders, but most <laughs> of the fighting was done by conscripted African soldiers who were themselves basically slaves. Yeah. Yeah. King Leopold personally endorsed a system where white agents of the free state got a bonus if they were able to find more recruits for the force publique. Many agents wound up buying them in from various chiefs, in effect doing the same thing as the Arab slavers they bragged about fighting. State agents also got bonuses for, quote, reducing recruiting expenses. So if they outright enslaved people rather than paid them to join, they got more money in their pocket. As many mm-hmm. as three quarters of all volunteers for the force publique died before they could receive training. Most of those volunteers were teenagers. Right. Yeah. So he, they're just... Volunteers, quote unquote. That's fucking incredible. So it was like, we have our indentured servant army is going to fight your slave army. Mm-hmm. So basically, the Congo at this point is groups of white guys with soldiers going into the jungle to collect a bunch of other soldiers mm-hmm. and they'll put them in chains and like march them through the jungle and most of them will die and then they'll train those guys up to fight and they'll take those guys into the jungle to tell people to collect rubber from people and to kill everyone who doesn't provide enough rubber mm-hmm. and to kill a lot of the people who do provide enough rubber just because these kids are like starving to death and maybe yeah. they have to shoot an animal or maybe there's rebels and they get into a firefight, but they don't but kill anyone. Miss, with, yeah. yeah. And then you got to take hands from the, so it just keeps spiraling out of control and becoming like even more of a nightmare to everybody, but Leopold. Cause again, he's sitting back in Belgium this time. Um, Since Leopold was the absolute monarch, he got to rule by royal decree. His first decree was that all, quote, vacant land was now property of the state. He didn't explain what vacant meant because obviously farmers don't live on every inch of their farmland. So basically most of the land in the Congo was now just his. Uh, He leased this land to a series of private corporations. And this gets to the real brilliance of his scheme because Leopold didn't have to dirty his hands actually running any of the rubber harvesting. He was able to privatize it. Yeah. Other people paid for the right to mine rubber and cut off hands and do all the actual work, and Leopold owned the rights to a huge chunk of their profits. So basically, these companies would come in and give him an owning sh- stake in the yeah, corporation. Yeah, they would license the scheme yeah. of uh, enslaving people, cutting off their hands, 
yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Great. Adam Hochschild in King Leopold's Ghost compares the Congo Free State to a venture capital firm. Right. Quote, he had essentially found a way to attract other people's capital to his investment schemes while he retained half the proceeds. In the end, what with various taxes and fees the companies paid the state, it came to more than half. Jesus. So in the 1890s, the Congo Free State really starts putting out rubber, and suddenly King Leopold is one of the richest guys in the world. He starts buying gigantic monuments and palaces and shit for Belgium, big showy projects, some of which are still there. Uh, it's to make people like him. It's to keep him yeah. popular at home. He's succeeding beyond his wildest dreams in the business side of things, but his personal life is just kind of one series of train wrecks after the other. Oh, sad. Um, That's sad. Yeah. His son had died in 1864, which led to an understandable estrangement between Leopold and his wife. It took eight years before they could stand to be around each other and try again. This passage from Leopold's biography tells you a lot about the relationships between the uh, sexes in the 1860s. Quote, Leopold II was anxious to have a male heir, and in 1872, Queen Marie Henriette consented to resume conjugal life with her royal spouse, from whom she had separated some time before. She sacrificed herself, as one may say, for her country. A child was born unto them, but alas, it was a daughter and not a son which was given unto them. So, that's messed up for a lot of reasons. Jesus. One of which is just that even in the pro-Leopold biography, it just admits that having sex with Leopold is a sacrifice. I actually, I'm surprised at the amount of agency she has. Like, she, you know... She is the queen. Facing pressure, but wasn't forced at guillotine point or whatever to... She kind of was. I guess that's true. Yeah, she, I guess that's between the lines, of course. Yeah. It's, Jesus. It's. I mean, she probably has more agency than the average, but at the same time, in a way, she has less because it's less important for a commoner to have a son. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, the king, that's, like, the whole dynasty thing. So you might say she has even less. Um, we probably should say that. Yeah, we probably would be responsible <laughs> for the record. to say that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Leopold did not take having a daughter very well. Uh, this quote is from uh, King Leopold's ghost. When the last daughter, Clementine, was born, according to his sister, Louise, the king was furious and thenceforth refused to have anything to do with his admirable wife. From the beginning, she wrote, quote, the king paid very at- little attention to me or my sisters. Uh, so he, he doesn't pay attention to his daughters. And he mostly seems to care when one of them, like, fucks with his garden. Um, here's a <laughs> recollection from Luis. Large, juicy peaches grew on the walls of the gardens, and the king was very proud of them. I had a passion for peaches, and one day I dared to eat one which was hidden away among the leaves. And that year, peaches were plentiful. But the following day, the king discovered the theft. What a dramatic moment. At once suspected, I confessed my crime and was promptly punished. I did not realize that the king counted his peaches. So while Leopold is running a nightmare hand-harvesting rubber-making yeah. scheme in the Congo. He's got enough time to make sure that his daughter doesn't steal a peach That's from his garden. That's so funny. Because it's like, <laughs> at least Ivanka Trump has the decency to pretend that she loved her time with her dad, even though, like, in all those, like, stories she tells, it's sad and weird, yeah. too. But it's like, at least she's like, I love him, he's my dad, you know, and I believe in all this shit. He couldn't even get his daughters to be like, I love him. Well... There's going to be more about his daughters coming in great. here. He's, he is not a great dad. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't tell that already. Huh. Um, there's, in fact, no evidence that Leopold cared about any of his children as anything more than vehicles for his legacy. Uh, even that fawning 1910 biography can't make it seem like Leopold had a single fuck for his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, as King Leopold... I mean, I'm going to be honest, yeah. that's so far the most relatable thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just not liking his family? Yeah. <laughs> 
Just kidding. I love you, fam. (laughs) As King Leopold grew older and richer, he also became a full-on hypochondriac. He took to wearing a waterproof bag around his gigantic beard whenever he went outside in the rain or uh, when he swam. He required his palace tablecloths to be boiled every day to kill any germs, which is at least a character evolution from not letting them wash his sheets. Yeah. His his napkin. Um, Yeah. That's good for him. So he's changing. He's had his own little hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. We all get there. Yeah. Hypochondriac. Um, This wound up being uh, another really, really long one. There was just so much research. So um, this is going to be a two-parter podcast, and uh, the second part is going to drop on Thursday. Uh, so we'll be getting into the rest of Leopold's story and the tremendously dark story of the Congo. So so stick around. Check back in on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be great. In the meantime, you can check out Andrew T.'s podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Uh, you can also check out every other episode of Behind the Bastards. You can find us on Twitter at BastardsPod and Instagram as well. You can find us on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com. And you can find me on Twitter at IWriteOK. So, Andrew and I will be back on Thursday with more Leopold, so check us out then. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.